Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. A reading from our gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them with authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly all over the region of Galilee. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Welcome to digitalchurch.nyc. My name is Michael Rodzina. I'm one of the pastors here at Good Shepherd New York, and I'd like to offer my reflection on this gospel text. But before I do, I'd like to invite you into a practice of openness. And together, we open ourselves to the possibility that God could take this story and connect it to ours in a meaningful way. So whatever you bring into the moment, whether it's lots of faith or doubt, we simply ask you to bring your authentic self and let's open ourselves to that possibility together. Join me in that. God, we simply say we're here, we are open as best as we can be, and we pray that you would take this story and weave it into our lives in a way that produces love and that produces meaningful change. Amen. Well, today I'd like to talk with you about demons. Forgive the pause. I wanted to give the necessary space for the natural and uncontrollable applause to die down in your homes. See, the key feature of today's story involves a public exorcism of a man. Exorcism being the language of removal, of driving something out. This is a very problematic topic for many people. First of all, we have our modern eyes and experience that looks to the demonic subject matter like this as purely superstitious, right? Rooted in a spiritual worldview that disconnects from science and reality. Second, we have pop culture images to contend with. Movies like The Exorcist or The Diary of Emily Rose, they've shaped our popular understanding of what demons are, how they operate, or are defeated. And for some reason, these dynamics inevitably involve spinning heads, projectile vomit, and the ability to traverse a ceiling like Spider-Man. Now to top it all off, many of us and this is a little bit more serious, have grown up in traditions where the language and the practice surrounding demons or evil spirits was manipulative and traumatic even. For some, this is a way to dodge responsibility, and we get phrases like, the devil made me do it. For some, it's an easy scapegoat. There's a demon behind every obstacle, every hardship, 
every annoyance. For others, power dynamics get weird, right? Some are labeled anointed, possessing spiritual authority to deal with these so-called demonic manifestations. But if you cross or question one of the anointed ones, well, you're liable to get tagged as a demonic disturbance yourself. The system is hurtful because of how it preys on fears and shame, and it allows almost unchecked abuse of power. Many of you were right to deconstruct or walk away from such practice. Today, I want to recover a reading of this story that hopefully overcomes these obstacles and helps us build a meaningful bridge from this ancient story to our life today. To do this, to build the bridge, so to speak, it's crucial to understand a few cultural dynamics at work in the era when the story was written. This means we'll have to suspend our modern instinct to dismiss or to de demythologize. We'll have to suspend our cultural assumptions that are informed by our famous films. And we'll have to suspend, if it's possible, reading our personal experience of unhealthy church culture back into the text. So right now, let's do our best to suspend those assumptions and those instincts. And let's try to hear this story as it would have been understood in the time of its writing. Then and only then, I think, we'll be ready to build the bridge to today. Now, Ched Myers talks of Jesus' miracles in Mark's gospel, both exorcism and healing, as symbolic action. Now, you might be troubled by that language initially, because perhaps you hear that phrase and you hear it didn't really happen, that Jesus didn't really heal or cast out demons. But this isn't what he means by symbolic action at all. By symbolic action, he means not that it's action simply as a metaphor that needs no concrete or historical character or happening. Quite the contrary. He means it's action whose basic meaning, indeed its basic power, depends on the social symbols of an actual moment. Let me say that again. Symbolic action is action whose basic meaning, indeed power, depends on the social symbols of an actual moment. He offers two powerful illustrations. I love these. You know, when Martin Luther nailed his theses on the Wittenberg door, the meaning of his action went way beyond the sum of the parts. If taken literally, all we have is a monk nailing a note to a door. But this wasn't just any note or any door or any monk. It was intended and interpreted as the powerful symbol that it was, a symbol of resistance, which was larger than life in scale. It became mythic for Protestants, especially Lutherans later in history. Mythic, not in the sense that it didn't really happen. Mythic in the sense that its meaning loomed large in people's imaginations, right? To speak of something as symbolic or mythic doesn't mean it isn't real. To quote the great professor here at General Seminary, Father Clare, myth is realer than real. A second example is from the monk's namesake, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when Dr. King knelt and prayed in the face of police dogs and water cannons, or his colleagues sat at a lunch counter or at the front of city buses, they were engaging in symbolic action. The meaning cannot be interpreted apart from the factors of space and codes. Consider the space. Segregation in the southern states. Consider the codes. Discriminatory law and tradition. See, these actions can't be understood apart from those codes. But examples show us that actions can be deeply symbolic without losing their historic character. 
right? Their divine meaning isn't simply in raw power over nature. That's the takeaway that many of us have when we read the miracle stories of Jesus. But instead, the divine power is seen in the confrontation with the dominant order of oppression and bearing witness to different possibilities. Jesus, his symbolic acts were not powerful because they challenged the laws of nature, but because they challenged the very structures of social life. His healing and his exorcism, they help us see something. They help us see the dominant symbolic order for what it is, unmasking the way that it legitimizes how people relate to each other. And wherever that dominant order is dehumanizing life, Jesus challenges and defies it. This is so important. This is why his miracles were not universally embraced. You'd think that to heal a person in public, you'd win over everyone over. People weren't just looking for power over nature, though. They were looking for what that powerful act meant. And what an act meant depended on your status in the dominant order. If you had more status, you probably saw him as a social deviant or even worse, heretical. If you had less status, you probably saw him as a hopeful liberator. Now, watch this trend in Mark's gospel as we read through it this year. So what does this moment in the synagogue mean? The prologue narrates the dawn of the kingdom at the margins of the world. In this setup to the story, Mark announces an offensive upon the strongholds of oppression and the dawn of liberation and launches the discipleship adventure. But from the very outset, the tone of the story anticipates conflict. See, this erupts in Jesus' very first public action here in the synagogue of Capernaum. Now, what triggers this conflict? First, I want to make a note about place in Mark's gospel. Place is also deeply symbolic. For him, there are positive and negative coordinates on the map. The desert, the sea, the river, and the mountain, Galilee, it's all good. These are the places of divine encounter and reception. But Jerusalem and Judea, on the other hand, along with the setting of city and temple and synagogue, well, these are ominous places, places of conflict and resistance, strongholds of oppression. So Jesus entering the synagogue in the city is a narrative cue that conflict is about to happen. But once again, what triggers the conflict here? Right? I think that's an important question. We always have to be asking that. When conflict is about to happen, what is triggering the conflict? Pay attention to the language here. Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. There's a clear emphasis on the content of Jesus' message and the effective nature of that teaching. Right? It has authority. And this is set in contrast, in opposition even, with the teachers of the law, also known as the scribes. They teach and nothing changes. Right? The lives of the people who are hurt or excluded under the status quo, they're left unchanged under the scribal teaching. But Jesus teaches and oppressive forces are seen, named, and driven out. The result is that people are liberated, that people are healed, and the people who are rejected are restored back to society once again. The unclean spirit, which later becomes interchangeable in the story with demon, is likely connected to the toxic teaching of the synagogue. In the biblical book, 1 John, the word spirit is interchangeable with the word teaching. 
See, there's a toxic ideology at work in society. It's possessing the imaginations of the people, destroying their lives. There's an institution which upheld oppressive social codes and alliances, both the purity code and the debt code, which we'll explore a little more this year. They're completely undermined and resisted by Jesus' teaching and by Jesus' practice. It's interesting that at the end of this section, we read this quote, Jesus went through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out devils. Right? The demons and the devils and the unclean spirits, they're not out there with the poor, or the sinner, or the marginalized. They're at the heart of the urban religious institutions. Evil is encountered in sacred space, the synagogue, and sacred time, the Sabbath. It's in these places of cultural and religious power that Jesus is challenging authority. Now, let's build the bridge. How do we connect this to our lives? One question to begin with is to ask, where are oppressive strongholds in our world and in our lives? The Atlantic put out a piece this week entitled, Joe Biden Will Lie to You. It basically sets up the idea that while we may be past the bombastic forms of in-your-face deception and double talk with the end of the Trump era, our political institutions and figures continually operate on a tight wire where the difference between truth and lies is razor thin. It calls out the need for the press to do their jobs, for the people to not let their guard down, and for all of us to recommit ourselves to the pursuit of truth. Our political centers are consistently oppressive strongholds. Well, you can't go anywhere right now without hearing about the GameStop controversy. After the 2008 market crash and subsequent bailout, many have grown increasingly revolted by the way that the market is managed and manipulated by popular and risky Wall Street practices. A group on Reddit has taken on the market using one of Wall Street's own tactics, the short squeeze. They drove up the price of a stock, forcing funds to close their positions at astronomical rates, resulting in losses that could have a cascade effect on the market. Popular platforms like Robinhood and Ameritrade, they sought to stabilize this unprecedented move in the market, leaving many to question the freedom of said market and whether billionaires get to decide the rules. This is a moment of modern symbolic action, perhaps even a modern exorcism. A potentially oppressive, corrosive force is being driven out and it's meeting massive opposition. Now, I think the dust needs to settle a little bit more for me to get my bearings on the story, but it has all the makings of what we're talking about today. Our market is consistently an oppressive stronghold. We've seen over the past six or seven years the rise of something called Christian nationalism. It's reminded us that the wedding of religious narratives and beliefs with national identity and the political apparatus is a deadly combination. These combinations create a nexus of power that's doubly dangerous because like the synagogue and the temple in Jesus' time, the religious institution and story is taken over by national narratives and loyalties, and people are driven to justify the basest human instincts with appeals to divine support and justification. Our religious centers are consistently oppressive strongholds. I've been noticing that some of the backlash to some of these unjust and corrupt movements often become as oppressive as those that they seek to oppose. It may be done in the name of accountability and justice, but that's just because they're punching up and we have more of a cultural stomach for that. But in some cases, I see the same hate, 
disgust, dehumanization toward the people or the corrupt institutions that they're calling out or canceling. Walter, Wook in his, Walter Wink, in his book, Engaging the Powers, put it this way, I have a nagging hunch that the gospel's power in our own time is about to be manifested in a manner that's as repugnant to the society at large and all of us who have accommodated ourselves to it as the early Christian message was to Roman paganism. Our society is possessed, Christians as much as anyone. We're possessed by violence, possessed by sex, possessed by money, possessed by drugs. We need to recover forms of collective exorcism, as effective as was the early Christian's baptism in its renunciation of Satan and all of his works." End quote. All of this is a warning to us. Where would Jesus be liberating today? Where would Jesus be met with resistance? This is a moment not to be presumptuous. The disciples learned that the hard way. Time after time, they were on the wrong side of those little moments in history, according to Jesus. Time after time, it was his own inner ring who might seemingly be possessed by the demonic forces. You remember Jesus was uh, driving out, um, or that Jesus was driving out. You remember when he told Peter, get behind me, Satan? See, there are ideologies and practices and instincts of the dominant world order, and they, they die hard. They don't go down without a fight. We should ask the question, where might there be strongholds in our lives that we need to renounce and let be driven out? Where might we be hurt or damaged by these strongholds, and we need to be liberated? May the living Christ continue to guide us into truth and to set us free as he did in that little synagogue in Capernaum. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.